And we've been looking at the life of David over the last few months, really. We've got another couple of sessions to go, and then that's it. We're going to put David away in the cupboard and take the book of Romans out. But what we've been seeing with David is that, first of all, God chooses ordinary people. I find that so encouraging. I find the life of David so encouraging because David was not special. He was ordinary. He was just a person whom God laid his hand on. The Bible says he's a God after man's own... It was a man after God's own heart. But that's not talking about him as a moral character. That's talking about the desires and the heart on the inside. But in this person who had great desires after God, there was very ordinary humanity, just like you and I. And that should encourage you this morning, that if God can do what he did with David, he can do that, and he can do more with you because we've got Jesus who's died on the cross for us. David didn't have that. Nobodies can become somebodies. Second thing we saw in looking at the life of David is the key to reaching our destiny is found in our relationship with God. It's found in your willingness to have an intimate relationship with Father God himself. And we're going to look at that in in another week's time again. Another thing we found out is that God loves us no matter what we're like. You mightn't love yourself, but God loves you. Other people might not love you, but God loves you always has, always will. He looks at you as you heard already this morning and he says, it is very good. He doesn't look at you and think, oh darn, made a mess of that one. Let's cancel that particular um, model and we'll get a new one. No, he looks at you and he says, very good. He loves you. Another thing we saw is that bad things happen to good people. But if we respond right, God can cause good things to come out of them. Now, the interesting thing about the Bible is the Bible doesn't fudge things. If you and I were one of the people that God had moved through in Bible times, I've got bad news for you. All your rubbish would come out in here. God would write it down for the whole world to read. God doesn't hide stuff. When we look at the life of David, you see the good and you see the bad and you see the ugly. Because that's reality. Yours and my life are good and bad and ugly. There is reality there. We are ordinary people. Don't think you are the only one who's a bit horrible. Don't think you're the only one who wakes up in a bad mood in the morning. Don't think you're the only one who has bad breath. Don't think you are the only one who has difficulties in their life. We all have stuff. And we come along to church and we we play the game and we put the smile on and we wear the nice clothes or the jeans or whatever we're wearing and we come along to church and we put on an image, but inside that image is just a person. And the people we meet at church are the same as us. They're not better than us. They're not worse than us. They're the same. But before God, nothing is hidden. We can pretend before one another. We can pretend before the world, but nothing has hidden before God. I made a decision a long, long time ago that I wasn't going to muck around with God. If I was sinning, I'd tell him about it, because he knows anyway. 
You know, I'd have a discussion about it. Oh, I, I don't think you're pretty, pretty, very happy with what I'm doing this morning, are you, God? We'd talk about it, not in a flippant way, but why hide it? He already knows. And that this, is, this is what's amazing about this book, is it doesn't hide stuff. It's out there. It's out there. People who you'd think, oh, oh, I don't think I could trust them anymore after they've done that. Well, think of David. He did the worst. And God made sure it was written there for you and I to see because he knows you and I have the same tendencies within us if we would just let rip. There's an interesting story. This isn't in my notes. It's just come into my head now. But there's a, there was, during the um, trials of the, of the Nazi war crime people, people who'd cr- committed atrocities during World, World War II, and they had uh, this guy, one of the big concentration camp fellows. I don't know. I well, can't remember his name now. But he was there on trial for war crimes. And they had one of the Jews who had come through the Holocaust, who had been in a concentration camp when this guy was in charge, come and testify against him. And the Jewish guy walked into the courtroom and he walked right up to the man and he looked him right in the eyes, walked right up to him and stared into his eyes. And as he looked into the man's eyes, he began to weep just uncontrollably began to weep. And they asked him after the thing was over, the guy had been, was, was found guilty and so on and so forth, but they asked him, why did you cry? Was that, was that all of the horror coming back to you? Did you? Were you seeing the evil of that person and, and re, reliving it? Is that why you burst into tears? He said, no. He said, when I looked into that man's eyes, I saw that I was capable of just the same. He was no worse than me. If I had been in the same situations and had the same opportunities and the same choices to make, I probably would have made the same choices. And he was saying something that we all need to understand. None of us are better or worse. We're all in the same boat here this morning. And God has put it all in the Bible. He put the David and Bathsheba story in the Bible in its nasty little details so that we understand that there's nobody separate or higher that we're all capable of that stuff. And there's an answer. There's a way out. There's a hope for each one of us. Nothing is hopeless. Nothing. So when we look at the story of David, there's three names, there's two names apart from David's that stand out. There's David, his own name, of course. Then there's David and Goliath. We all know that story. And the other story we all know well is David and Bathsheba. David and Goliath, David's greatest success. David and Bathsheba, David's greatest failure. One comes at the beginning of his life. The other comes at the end of his life it's a pity it wasn't the other way around it's a better way to finish with the greatest success at the end and the greatest failure at the beginning if you've had one of your greatest failures praise God you had it at the beginning it's not so great to have it at the end because that's all people remember (laughs) so we're going to look today at David's greatest failure but before we do that, uh, we need to become, or we need to have an understanding or a clarity of understanding of what we mean when we're talking about the word sin. Sin's not a word that is 
used much today. In churches, yeah, but not outside. You know. And when we think of sin, we think of being naughty, don't we? We think of murdering someone or abusing someone or stealing something from a shop or lying or cheating or losing your temper. We, we think of a bad behavior, don't we? Do you realize that's not what the Bible means when it talks about sin? Bad behavior is the result of sin. Sin is not bad behavior. Bad behavior flows out of sin. But sin is a different thing altogether. There are actually six or seven understandings of sin. As I was studying through the book of Romans, uh, I discovered that there are, the Old Testament has several understandings of sin. None of them, not very many of them, I thought about. I want to read them to you. The first one means to miss the mark or to fall short. When the Bible uses the word sin, it uses it in the context of to miss the mark or to fall short. If you shoot an arrow at a target and it falls short, that is the understanding of sin. To fall short, to miss. Second one, to overstep a boundary, to go somewhere where you shouldn't go. <laughs> All right? It says keep out on the door. It's opening the door and going in. Third one, Falling instead of standing. Weakness. Being crooked. Like a, a, a bent arrow. You shoot something and it goes over that way. Like a boomerang. It's meant to go over here and it ends up over there. The fourth one, being ignorant instead of knowing. How do you like that? Being ignorant instead of knowing is classed as sin. That's why there was an offering for the sins that people didn't know they'd committed. Fifth, diminishing what should be given full value. How do you like that one? Giving something less of a value than it deserves is classed as sin. Notice none of these are particularly naughty. They're things we all do regularly. Ah, oh, here's one. How do you like this one? Ah, oh, you don't really need to go to church. I can be a Christian at home. And yet the Bible gives full value to the church, which means I have just committed sin by staying home. <gasps> oh, I could be struck off for that one, couldn't I? Sixth, being willfully careless. Not naughty, careless. And the last one, which is what the, the main understanding of sin is in the Bible, is choosing to live our lives independently of God. In other words, you could be perfect morally and choosing to live independently of God and you are living in sin. It's got nothing to do with morals. It's got nothing to do with behavior. It's got nothing to do with outward things. It's got everything to do with relationship with God, choosing to put him first or not. If he's not first, it's sin. It's living our life our way, not God's way. I've got, excuse the illustration, I've got some underwear and I don't know whether I like it or not because written on the front it's got my way. 
and there's six pairs of them, and I'm thinking of it, and it got them cheap. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, I actually like the look of them, but I'm not too sure that I like what's written on them. So every time I put them on, I say, God, that's not true. <laughs> I haven't got them on this morning. Just let me... See, we sin when we do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. Are you hearing me? You're still thinking of underwear. I know that. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've destroyed the sermon. All you can see is that. See, I've managed to make it light already, haven't I? When we do what we want to do rather than what, that, than what God wants us to do, that's sin. A sinner is a person who lives independently from God and sinners acting independently from God at any point in time. That's it. Nothing to do with being naughty. Nothing to do with lying, cheating, stealing, killing, all that stuff. Although all of that is also sin. Because when you live independently from God, you do that stuff. <sighs> So what do we learn about sin from this incident in David's life? I'm going to go a bit longer because I, I started shorter, later. Let's go to 2 Samuel 11. Anyway, don't finish it today. I'll finish it next week. I'm, I can do that. It's one benefit I've got other than the others who preach here have got. I can carry on next week. They can't. They, that's it. <laughs> 2 Samuel 11. It's, I've got to read the whole story because otherwise we've got to miss stuff. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, here's a key already, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Think about it as we read. What mistakes has he made here? You've seen one already. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed. He's allowed to do that, folks. He walked around on the roof of the palace. He's allowed to do that. It's his palace. But because it's a higher building than everybody else's, he can see everything. Let's move on. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, having her bath. The woman was very beautiful. Now, he shouldn't have stuck around long enough to know she was very beautiful, but yes. She was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. I love this bit. She had purified herself from her uncleanness, as if that really mattered. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. 
You know what he really wanted him to do, don't you? So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and would not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, this is so tragic, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and have sex with my wife? As surely as you live, I would not do such a thing. If you're David, you should be feeling real bad right now. (laughs) Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David got him drunk. How many of you know when you get drunk, you do what's in your heart? You don't even think about it? But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he wouldn't go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw him from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a a, a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you've finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they'd shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, uh, the son of whatever his name is? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? And if he asks you this, then say to him, also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent, sent him to say. And the messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open. We drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's men died, and moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. And when when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And we'll read down to verse 14 of chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he'd bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. Oh, I love this. I love the hypocrisy. 
He burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. (laughs) This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had not been, if this had all been too little, I would have given you so much more. That in itself is a sad comment. I would have given you so much more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites and now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this is what the Lord says, out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I'll take your wives and give them to the one who's closest to you and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son that is born to you will die. Sin is never an accident. Do you know that? In the story of Second Samuel, we see four things. We see, first of all, David was idle. He stayed at home. He lost his focus as king. The first step to going down the wrong track is getting idle, losing your focus. David should have been out fighting with the other men, but he stayed at home. How many of you know when you're bored, stuff, st- stuff happens, doesn't it? That's when you go astray when you're bored. Secondly, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was allowed on the roof of his palace, but as soon as he saw the woman, he should have got down quick. He stayed on the roof. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Third thing, David began to play with his temptation. By the time he got to number three, he was hooked. There was no turning back. Number four, David chose to go through with it. At no stage was David out of control. In all of this situation, David had free will choice but the choices got easier and easier to make as he got through the list James 1 14 and 15 talks about sin as really just giving in to your own desires we sin when we give in to what we want to do we play with them and then we end up falling and the result of that is death and the result of David's story is death. If you look, at, look through it, you find that there's death all the way through that story. It's a sad story. Death of Uriah. Now, not a lot is made of Uriah in this story. But we need to know who Uriah was. Uriah wasn't just any old person. Uriah was one of David's 30 faithful men. He was one of the top 30 in the kingdom who David trusted the most, who had sacrificed the most for David. He was one of David's best, the best of the best. 
he died that day. Unnecessarily. The death of the baby. The death of David's reputation. The death of something inside him that day. The death of a future. God said, I would have given you much more. Notice the past tense. In other words, David, there was so much more and you've just missed it. You've missed the mark. The arrow was meant to go over there and you chose to put it here. And one thing that is not as hardly mentioned is the death of all those other soldiers who got killed while Uriah was being killed. Each one of them lost their lives because David wanted to get rid of Uriah. And David wanted to get rid of Uriah because he wanted to cover his own actions. It wasn't an accident. This was a deliberate, calculated act, like most of ours are. <laughs> Come on, they are, aren't they? You, you, we, we, we're, we're really good at deceiving ourselves, but really we do what we do because we want to do it. And we plan to do it, and we plan it all through in our minds, and we carry it out, and then we feel bad after. Huh? Come on, you're not just like me. We do that. It's never an accident. Could David have acted differently? Yeah, he could have. First Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 says, No temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man. In other words, everybody has the same stuff. But God is faithful and will provide the way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. So where was David's escape? Well, if he'd kept his relationship with God fresh, God would have talked to him and said, David, close your eyes. Go to bed, David. Not a good idea, David, you know. He should have been busy with the army, with his responsibilities, keeping his mind focused rather than being in that la-la state. He could have just gone to bed. He could have gone up, oh, oh, a woman, gone to bed. He could have done that. He didn't have to go, oh. That was his choice. He could have looked away. He could have said no to himself. He could have sent a smoke signal to Nathan saying, come and pray for me. Couldn't have run, could he? There were lots of choices open to the man, but he wasn't a victim here. No one made David do anything. It was his choice. He desired it. He wanted it. He had it. He was king after all. He can have what he likes. But once he got to that stage three, once he'd started to play with the temptation, he was hooked. Isn't that the same with us? You know, things happen. You know, and if we, if we cut it off at point one or point two, it's quite easy. But when we get to that stage of playing with it and thinking about it and plotting it, we're over. It's going to happen. You know, you might as well just write it in the book. It's done. Huh? Or am I the only one who does that? You people are laughing. You're with me. Okay, sin's not an accident. And it can't be ignored because it's against God. It's not against people. It's against God. God was not happy with what David had done. See, that whole thing with David wasn't the end of the story. He thought he had got away with it, but the woman got pregnant. And he couldn't hide it because husband had been away for months. So woman has got pregnant without husband. Doesn't happen. There's only one immaculate conception, and this was not it. 
darn. Got caught. Most of us are happy doing what we do until we get caught. I want you to know we always get caught because it's against God. So David tries to hide it. And the more he tries to hide it, the worse it gets. The more he tries to cover his tracks, the bigger the feet marks get. And eventually he commits murder to cover up his wrong. So the smaller sin becomes a bigger thing and a bigger thing and a bigger thing. Just goes on and on, doesn't it? And he marries Bathsheba, finally thinks it over, it's over, finally thinks he's got away with it, wait, got away with it, and God sends a prophet to expose him. God's not going to let it go. I want you to know we can't hide from God. I can't and you can't. So I said at the beginning, I'm always open. I always have a discussion with God. God, I did it again, didn't I? Yeah, you did. What are you going to do about it? I've got to do this about it. <laughs> One day we'll have to answer to him for everything. David had to answer to God. He couldn't escape it. Our sin can't be ignored. I'm going to stop there. That's enough. But we do need to understand this morning that our lives are not our own. And this, is, this, I think, is the greatest lesson in this thing about David, which we will talk about further because there's a lot more to go yet. The good part's yet to come. There is a good part in the story. But our, our lives are not our own. David's life was not his own. Just because he was the king didn't mean he could do what he liked. David was part of a village. He was part of a society. He was part of a group of people. He was part of a family, like Tony and Antonio have made the decision to be this morning. And when we're part of a family, we are connected. The things we do affect everybody else. We're part of God's family, so the things we do affect God. Even our thinking affects God. We think, oh, it's just thinking. I can think what I like. No, we can't. The Bible says we were bought with the price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not our own anymore. We're not our own. David was not his own. He couldn't choose to have it off with Bathsheba and kill her husband just because he was king. It, you don't do that. God, that offended and affected God. It destroyed his reputation. positive thing in all of this is that's not where God leaves it. 1 John 1 9 says God is faithful. He's faithful if we will confess our sin. He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See when Jesus died on the cross and cried out, it is finished. That's what he was talking about. If you will bring that tendency to live away from God to the cross, God before him will deal with it. It will be over and done. You don't have to talk about it anymore. It's finished. You could have committed the thing with Bathsheba and, you, and murdered Uriah and brought it to the cross and then three days later said to God, oh God, I'm still sorry for what I've done. He said, what's that? Done what? Who's Uriah? 
What are you talking about with Bathsheba? That has gone. That is what the cross is all about. When we bring our failings and our humanity before God, and when we ask his forgiveness, he wipes it clean. Like this church was wiped yesterday. Now, you might have made a mark on the wall three weeks ago. It's not there now. Somebody wiped it clean. You might have spilt something in the kitchen last week. It's gone. It's no good coming to Sharon and saying, oh, I'm sorry about the floor. She'll say, what? I don't see any mark. Someone's cleaned it for you. And that's what Jesus did for each one of us on the cross. And the greatest sin is ignoring that. The greatest sin is ignoring what God has done for us to set us free. The greatest sin is saying, I don't need God's forgiveness. I'm okay. You are not okay. I am not okay. I need him. And all I have, the only only attainments I have are what he has done on my behalf. When I stand before him in eternity, I won't be bragging about what I have done on this earth. I'll be thanking him for what he has done for me. Isn't that good news? Good news is you can go out that door or that door or any other door you choose to go out this morning. You can go out and not take anything with you that is bad. You can leave it at the cross. You can leave it at the foot of the cross.